Today on Two Dads, One Puck, we like to welcome in a guest with the perspective on playing and scouting for junior teams. He even comes bearing experience with the New York Rangers. No, it's not Charlie F. and Danner. Our guest can actually skate, and old ladies don't think of him as a prick either. Welcome to the show, Great Lakes Hockey League living legend and defenseman of the year, 20 years running, not a big deal, for the Eagle River Falcons, Mr. Bob McDonald. Welcome to the show, buddy. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the intro. I appreciate the uh, being here. Is that old ladies thing true? Do, or do they really think you're a prick? Uh, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think there's a consensus, but I'm sure there's a couple that do. It's open for debate then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, it's a self-appointed defenseman of the year. So. Oh, sorry. We'll, we'll edit that out later. I mean, I was at the game. I heard. 20 <laughs> years running. So, uh, Bob, give us a rundown, kind of your, uh, your Cliff Notes version of uh, growing up in Eagle River and your, your rise to prominence with the, uh, with the Falcons there in Eagle River, Wisconsin. Perfect. Sure. I'd like to, uh, seeing that we have some beers here, I'd like to make a toast to uh, a friend and a hockey father that passed this year. Uh, a good friend of mine, former business mentor, uh, Scott Weber, Stump. Had the pleasure of uh, coaching his kids and one of his kids is going to be a sophomore at the University of Minnesota this year. Play for the Gophers. So, uh, he would love uh, love the podcast, and uh, I'm sure he's rolling over right now, laughing that we're uh, we're doing this. So, Stump, this one's for you. Awesome! Cheers. Cheers! Great way to start off. So yeah, I grew up uh, here in Eagle River. Uh, started hockey real young. I have a lot of fond memories of you know she's four and five years old pushing a chair and and being yelled at. Um, had a lot of great coaches and uh, people that. Uh, Again, helped uh, help me play and enjoy the game, and then move on. I actually just gave a t- not a speech, I should say, just told the story the other day. I was walking around the rink, and where our new addition to the rink now is was used to be our outdoor rink, and uh, I used to skate there quite six, seven nights a week. You know, um, from right after school, if I got some schoolwork done, until ten o'clock at night since I was six years old. And I even have a couple funny stories of my dad forgetting I was there and uh, almost freezing to death. One time I had a cop come and ask me why I was laying in the rink because I had to break in because I was frozen after, uh, I believe it was a Christmas dinner when I was under 10 and I, I made a deal that if I did something or was nice to my sisters, I got to go skate. Well, my dad dropped me off and he went home and fell asleep in the chair. And so it was like 20 <laughs> below and I was skating by myself and uh, ended up having to break into the rink and I must have set an alarm off because a cop showed up as I was laying there trying to warm up and uh, he called my dad. So. Uh, so yeah, I grew up, had a lot of great experiences, obviously a lot of negative ones as well. Um, you know, growing up, we had, uh, we had an example of an NHL player, Craig Ludwig. So as a kid, we used to get to go over to the cities and watch him play for the North Stars. So at that age, I mean, we knew it was possible, you know, from a kid from a small town that, you know, you could move on to the next level and go there. And I was lucky to have coaches that went and played juniors and people that had experiences, you know, being in the area we are, it's obviously a big vacation area. So we had a lot of we had a, we, had, we had a great summer hockey school, I should say that. So a lot of the a lot of people that came back would come vacation and, and also be an instructor. So a lot of those were you know college coaches or D1 players. Um, you know I don't know if you heard the name Jack Skilly at all, but you know we used to joke that uh, his dad was a counselor at the school, and we used to torment this. Well, I wasn't part of it, but they used to you know obviously being one of the instructor's sons, he had a ran his mouth a lot, and you know he was picked on and and, and teased and. You know, years later, obviously, he had a cup of coffee in the NHL, and I think he still might be playing pro hockey. But uh, so, yeah, so being around hockey and a bunch of different personalities and different skill levels is, was a, is a great education. 
And uh, again, just seeing other people do it kind of, you know, grew, you know, you had the belief that you were able to do it as well. So um, going on and played high school here, um, you know, had, a, you know, by all accounts, a good high school experience. We lost in the sectional finals to uh, Wausau West was our conference rival, you know, storied history there, big school. Um, and uh, actually a team from Madison, I think, uh, won it the year of my graduation year. And then at first I wasn't going to go play juniors. Um, obviously, or not obviously, but it was a girl involved. So I thought maybe I'd stick around. And so I started playing, actually I played my first Eagle River Falcon game when I was 18 years old, the night of the, so we lost the sectional final at like two in the afternoon and eight o'clock that night I played for the Falcons. And I got into my first hockey fight against a 40 year old that evening. And uh, so I thought, I'm like, I don't think it'll ever get better than this. I'm not going to play juniors. I'll stay here. So started off there and I got a call from my best buddy that was in Boston said, Hey, we need a defenseman. We need someone that's uh, to add a little toughness to the lineup. And uh, said, you know, I guess I'll come out and try it out. And we hear you're knocking 40 year olds teeth out. So come on, <laughs> come join the show. <laughs> I still remember that. I, I you know, vividly remember I mean, all my high school buddies there, my high school teammates. And I said, you know what, if someone, if, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a look for a fight. And uh, luckily it came to me and I was punching the guy. I should say I, I landed like six punches, you know, it felt like a hundred. But I remember getting the penalty box. I, I looked at his face, and he had blood all over his face. And I said, "Yeah, right. you know, like this is what I, this is all about." And I looked at my hand; it was just full of blood. Well, I had cut my hand like three times on his helmet, punching him. He took a towel and just wipes his face, and all the blood's gone. <laughs> all the blood, all the blood was my blood. <laughs> so I said, "Oh, I'm like oh, hey, hopefully no one else recognizes that." So. So yeah, it's growing up in Eagle River, and then I went to, <laughs> went to junior. So uh, how far do you want me to take it from there? Was it what was that uh, what was that transition like? Uh, you know, talk us through that. What's some things you wish you would have known that uh, that you you'd love for those parents to be able to share with their kids as they're moving into that? Yeah, so it was a unique experience because a good friend of mine, a former teammate, a guy who I ended up coaching high school with after uh, college, one of my best buddies, was out there already. He had tried out for the Texas Tornadoes which were in the uh, NAHL at the time. And the Junior Blackhawks in Boston were a farm team for them. And uh, so he had been a final cut in Texas, and they advised him to go to Boston and, and be ready for the call-up. So he had been there. And um, we, uh, my first uh, half – so I got there right before Christmas, spent like two weeks, and then I came home and went back for the second half of the season. So my first season, I was in an apartment with – uh six guys eight at most time, six at most time eight at a couple points guys coming in and out um so it was junior b it was under you know tier would be like a tier three now um but so we lived in an apartment in the in a city called lynn massachusetts and the ring is lynn lynn city of sin you never come out the way you came in and years later, <laughs> where do I sign up for that? Yeah, they have t-shirts now. So a lot of barstool stories, barstool sports, the president, the guy that started barstool is like from about 10 minutes north of there, a little different community than we were in. So we, uh, it was unbelievable of experience, like watching cops years later, like it would, our neighborhood would have been on cops every other week. You know, <laughs> we had a guy from Michigan had a station wagon and he had a window broken and a broken wooden hockey stick stolen. That's the type of neighborhood we're in. 
So luckily my second season, I had a billet family, a uh, nice couple. I still t- stay in touch with them today. Uh, I try to make it out there once a year to visit them. They never had kids. He was a big hockey guy. Crazy story. He was actually a uh, final cut in like the 76 Olympics, somewhere in the, and uh, had a D1 offer and got pulled over with a buddy driving to a Canadian tournament from Boston. And his buddy had uh, some contraband in a vehicle and he got blamed for it because it was his car. He lost, a, lost an opportunity to go play college hockey because of it. So great guy, still played men's league. Um, and so what I would have known is, is that, first of all, if you desire to play at the next level after high school, there's a, there's a place for you, right? I don't know if it's always not going to be the USHL or, or the OHL, but there's, there's teams and leagues out there in different areas that kind of cater to multiple levels. So I got to spend some time in Alaska 2015 and a kid I coached in high school was actually playing for Kenai. His experience playing junior hockey in Alaska was way different than mine was in in Boston. And obviously the time difference was, but just, again, there's those, those little pockets of these leagues and and communities that have teams that, um, you know, that I always share with the kids I coached later on that. So at that time, it's, if you want to play at the next level, there's an opportunity for you. It's just kind of finding the right fit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I could tell you tons of experience. I mean, the personalities I've met, you know, we played a lot of uh, – not a lot, but we had three or four guys from uh, a couple Czech and a couple uh, guys from France. You know, so we had a bunch of Euros coming and out, people from all over the country. And my experience, we – so we most of the kids had to play unless you were good enough. You know, they made an exception. So he had to bring in kids that probably shouldn't have been there um, that had to pay to play. So, you know, it was kind of – a unique experience to see those kids not get nice time, but you know, they're paying five, $6,000 to be there. You know, a kid from Texas is asking me why he's not in the power play. And I'm just I'm like, well, nobody's, you can't skate. Like you can't be in a power play, if you, <laughs> you know? So, and then, you know, we had a kid from California who, you know, grew up near the sharks at the time. So of course being around that, he thought he was good through osmosis. So he's like, I know Owen Nolan. I don't understand why I'm not getting to play here. Uh, yeah, go talk to your coach and then all of a sudden coach had the, the best the Boston accent you can never understand him and he just yell at you the way you, oh, boy, he called me Bobby Bobby get out there yeah yeah and then you never know what he was saying he just you'd nod and say whatever coach whatever you need buddy I'm going I'm so yeah uh, you know it's just and I think we'll get to it later on with some more questions but I, again it's just you know that it's a parent I think just setting your kid up for that and, and being open to whatever the experience is and and enjoying it for what it is, you know, again, I think that you're not going to script it. You can't protect them from everything. Um, you can only hope that, you know, the coach and the team are what they say they are when you decide to go there and, and then they deliver on that, those promises. You know, I've heard amazing uh, uh, billet stories and I've heard the worst billet stories, you know, so there's always the, uh, you know, I think some, most of them are going between those. And then again, the most people I know have lifelong friendships and, you know, I, yeah, I think, you know, you, a lot of examples in the NHL now is marketing that. I think Fleury had a great piece about his billet family from Canada coming to Vegas. And, and I, you know, again, I know majority of my friends that went and played juniors, their billet families were at their weddings, you know, and, and still close to this day. So, I mean, me included. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Maybe we, uh, we just back up for some of the people that may not be familiar with what, uh, can you explain what is a, a billet family? So, our listeners get an idea of what that uh, what that means when we're talking about it here. Sure. So yeah. So billets are just uh, families that commit to uh, to housing players for that team, and we 
where we were in Boston was unique. So um, I started in Boston, then I went and played a month in northern Minnesota uh, for the Iron Range Yellow Jackets, and then I went back to Boston to finish the season, and we actually almost played them in nationals that year. But so a smaller community like uh, a northern Minnesota or like Spooner, Wisconsin, if some people are familiar, like it's easy. You know, you know all the families, you know all the people. So, that, so they come to the team and, you know, offer it up from the beginning, right? So uh, like in Boston, I mean, we were spread out. We were some guy. we were 45 minutes from the rink. Some guys were a half hour. Some guys were an hour from us, you know. So it, you had to seek out the people that were. And I think the hockey community in general is, as small as it is, um, it's tough to find those people that are committed to uh, the billet families. And um, some organizations, they get paid a stipend and um, some don't, you know, I think uh, I had a buddy that who's the captain of uh, Great Falls and he lived with a single guy that was a machinist in a trailer in Great Falls. And he goes, <laughs> he's like, my meal was a, a can of soup, you know, or, or whatever, that was his dinner. And uh, I, we kind of fell into the, uh, my billet mother won the lottery or on a scratch ticket. She won a million bucks. We were eating steak like three nights a week, you know, so <laughs> it was quite the, the Do you get to pick? Do you get to pick? You said like, I want the one that won the lotto. <laughs> well, she was funny because she actually picked us. And uh, it's a funny story. I'm sure that you'll get a. So we were living in a trailer with eight guys and she felt bad. So she did to bring us food. Or she'd invite us out for dinner, you know. So we go went out for dinner one time. It was my first time meeting her, and uh, it was like what they had. They had so she had two rooms. I think she had four guys living there. So she was close to a high school. So she got the high school kids. Kind of got first preference. So we were gonna go back, but we decided to stay that night. And you know, much like nineteen-year-old kids do, they you know, it was kind of a free-for-all. If you found a spot to sleep, you did. And she found me like curled up on the floor with a with a jacket as my blanket and she freaks out in the morning. You know, she's like, get, I have got a bed for you. Get over here. So she, you know, half asleep. She walks me to her husband, her room bedroom, her husband's sleeping in the bed and she rips back the covers and he's laying naked. She goes, sleep with Lou, get in there and sleep with Lou. You, you got to get some sleep. <laughs> and I, you know, I was trying to be respectful and not say no. So I climbed in the bed and laid down until she left. And I got out of there, went back on the floor. I'm like, you know, you know so I was, so yeah, so we, it was kind of, you know, I think the coach had a trailer too for some guys. I know some guys liked the trailer. Uh, we had a uh, weird apartment and then other people were living in houses with family. So yeah, so I, I think if you earn it, you can pick, but I mean, she's turned away a lot of, a lot of people. And so, yeah, there is a bit of a hierarchy, but there's also needs based too. If the kid needs to be in a school or, you know, sometimes parents just ship the kids out. And sometimes the parents would come to her and, and speak with them and make sure everything was uh, copacetic before they agreed to it. Yeah, man, what a cool system that uh, that can be. And, and I'm sure there's just all kinds of stories floating around out there from, like you said, probably some nightmare scenarios and, and some that are really awesome. Like you still, you mentioned you still stay in touch with yours. So that's uh, a cool system. But I, one of the things my coaches told me, and I, I was a soccer player growing up, but I, I appreciated it and you mentioned that there's an opportunity to play beyond high school for everybody. And it might not be a uh, division one athletics. It might be division three, or maybe it's a community college somewhere or, or just uh, other programs that are out there to continue, continue playing. And, and I mean, shit, even if it's just beer league hockey at the local rink, that's, that's fantastic. Just get out there and keep doing it. So 
great, great point with that for sure. Absolutely. And I think uh, my buddy played football for many years and he, even after high school, he got into rugby or I'm sorry, he played football in college and he played a little rugby. That was kind of his last chance, but he, he envied hockey for sure. Um, and the last note about the billets is this Google uh, Ruslan Fedotenko's experience with his billets. I think that's a, uh, will be a good one. Worthwhile reading, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a, it's an interesting, you know, path you know you took and you explained how there's something to do for everybody right and like you know get out there there's junior b's there's you know you can you know scout around you can find that shitty d3 school where you might get uh you know you might get a couple games and you know in your time when you were playing and then back to scouting um what are some things that parents can do to help get their kids to know where to start like what can kids do to put them in a position to make it to the next level so they're getting the call and not scrounging around to find that uh, junior b team out in montana to play in you know and and knocking on their door and sending stuff too but what what can they do to to get themselves noticed a little bit sure so uh to finish the build stuff too is that you're right with uh what i didn't what i left out is a lot of these billet families have children you know, in a lot of uh, situations, you know, they open their house and, and have young children. So these kids are around there. And I think it's a great opportunity for the families in most situations to experience, you know, somebody from a different location in the state or different uh, or in the country or, or out of the country. But there's plenty of stories today. Um, and a friend of mine works at Sports Illustrated and we're working on some concepts of this, but there's a direct correlation to these families that had billets, um, of future NHLers for their kids when their kids were young. And you say, look, I just learned the work ethic from watching him every day and what he did. And, you know, he, I, you know, 10 year old kids saying I became a professional when I saw this kid preparing for the NHL at, you know, 19, 20 years old or 16 at some ages. Uh, quick story was my assistant high school hockey coach billeted with a family in Iowa and I ended up playing with uh, him in juniors. We were teammates in juniors. And he was actually, excuse me, on uh, Spit and Chicklets, Nick Needer. He was the goalie that got called up and puked in the net. And he's from Hudson, Iowa. He had a storied career. If you look at his hockey DB, it's pretty well put. So um, what I always tell parents, and the introductory thing is, is it's a simple math problem, right? There's only so many teams, so many spots, and then you break that down to even smaller number of scholarships. And I think the goal of an education is, is you know, should be at the forefront because we all know injuries and everything that could happen is that you have something to, you know, you get something out of it. I think with the lawsuit with the CHL is going to be a huge, huge game changer for that. Um, but the next thing I tell the parents is if they're good enough, they'll find you. And, that being said, there's 98% of it's out of your control. And I think the climate's changed with social media. I think Sonny Milano was you know, the first guy to be picked based on his Instagram videos and his skills. And, you know, again, it's up for debate whether he, you know, lived up to his hype. Or, but so, yeah, if they're good enough, they'll find you. And then there's always the kids that fall through the cracks that, that make it based on sheer drive and, and, you know, their own volition. I mean, look at George, you know, Jamie Ben, you know, look where he fell in the draft in comparisons to who was taken over him. And even with the stars, like he left, you know, he dropped, I think it was fourth or fifth pick that year. And now he's wearing the C for that team. And then collectively the other four guys maybe have under hundred games for sure. Maybe under 50 collectively out of those four guys. 
So scouts, coaches, schools, everybody gets it wrong. Like they make mistakes, but if they're good enough, they're going to find it. And, and I, all I can tell parents is the biggest thing is, is, is just provide the right environment off the ice for the kid. Control what you can control. And you'll see that with a lot of NHL parents now or former NHL players with kids that are playing is they, the first thing they say is I let the coach coach. I bring my kid to the rink. I'm like every other parent, I'm not going to get involved. And most of it's because they can't because of time, because they're either scouting or coaching still. Um, but also they understand, they understand what it takes to coach a team and, uh, and, and be successful as a coach with all the variables. So I'd say as a parent, provide a good experience. You've already committed to an investment of time and money already. Now the next thing is just the positive attitude and atmosphere and, and your kid's never as good as you think he is. And he's never as bad as you think he is. Right. And a lot of my fondest memories growing up playing hockey are off the rink, you know, being with the families, being on the road, the funny stories. I mean, I could, I could tell you the smell of the gas station that we used to all meet at when I was eight years old before we would go on road trips <laughs> from Eagle River. Cause all of our, all of our drives are over two hours to a game, you know? So We'd all, you know, there'd be eight parents there. You know, some would be putting some coffee in. Some would be putting some other things into their thermoses. And we'd divvy up bodies into vehicles and go. Was, you it, know? The, and, and I, was it the crest over on 70 there by the McDonald's? or? No, no, it was downtown. <laughs> one, one of my buddy's dads owned the, uh, the mobile in town. I believe it was the mobile. But yeah, I can still – I remember that, you know, I've, obviously nowadays we would they would all went to jail for leaving the cars open mm-hmm. that much for us to breathe that much exhaustion at the – seven in the morning <laughs> so yeah for parents i again the majority of it's out of there you know out of your control and i think we can dive deeper if you want into you know rec hockey or house hockey or if you're paying to play there's various dynamics but at the end of the day it's a lot of it's luck and a lot of it's um, sure determination on the player and uh again like i always ask parents that so after coaching high school i still work with kids that want to play at the next level um and those kids came to me, you know what I mean? I didn't seek them out. They came to me and, and I said, here's what I got. I got, I got a 5 a.m. here. I got 11 o'clock here at night, you know, and the kids that took it, took the opportunity is great. You know, and a parent comes to me and says, why is my kid not playing? I said, well, what did he do in the off season? Like, was he shooting pucks every day? Was he, was he making an effort to get better? Right. And that's the kind of the question. And obviously the, if the first thing they give you an excuse why he wasn't able to, I think they have their answer. Um, so, yeah, again, it's just providing the right, you know, and again, that goes back to the financial resources of a parent could bring private lessons involved. You know, those are things that you can control. And actually I was just with, uh, in Minnesota when I was, we were texting a guy, I won't say his name, but he's a former, former uh, owner of the Dallas Stars, And he, we were kind of talking about the resources he put into his two kids and his daughter's a division one scholarship hockey player. And her son just got, you know, drafted by the um, Tampa Bay Lightning. So, you know, obviously for him, it was an easy, it's an easy answer, you know. He had the opportunity and the resource to do it, and he did it, and they obviously took advantage of it because as we were talking about it, she was shooting pucks in the basement uh, before, you know, in the afternoon when most of her friends were probably out enjoying the sun. So, I mean, that's interesting, right, because you bring that up. We've had other guests to talk about, and, they, you know, what do you do? You have your kids down there, are you harping on them or you busting their ass and you know, the kids that want to do it, you let them and you provide the opportunity. The kids that don't, you just, you know, let them be, let them, you know, just enjoy the game and, and they'll build some lifelong friendships and, and that's good, 
you know, good too. But I mean, even me, I shit, I'm down there. I'm, my kid is motivated by these stupid little beanie baby things. They've got big eyes, whatever. But, you know, somebody yeah. you know, put a bounty on it. Like, oh, you get, you get three pucks in a hole and you can get one. You shoot every thousand pucks you shoot, you can get another one. Like, you know, putting that thing, but we're not down there. Hey, you got to go shoot. It's like the, the opportunity is there, but, um, you know, we have the financial means, like you're saying, to, to provide that opportunity for to, to get better. But, um, so that's a, that's definitely an interesting thing to, to put in perspective is provide that for, uh, for your kids, but, you know, step back and not force it down them. Right. I mean, I'm assuming that's, you've probably seen that go south pretty bad, like forcing kids to be into that. Yeah. And I, you know, I've had friends that burned out kids that, you know, one of them came back after taking three years off and he still played division three hockey at a high level. Um, one of the crazier parents is, uh, I mean, he would have been put in jail for the stuff he would have said he didn't said to his son, but now his son, two of his sons, one played in the OHL, one of the, you know, full ride to Lake state. And now he's coaching in the ECHL. So, and I don't, you know, again, it's no secret. He understands that, his dad was, was, was what, who he was and did what he did and, you know, right or wrong, it is what it is now. But again, I think even, you know, that's kind of why I got coached out of coaching high school was uh, I saw the writing on the wall changing, especially in high school hockey in Wisconsin publicly is that the parents had more stay and the kids feelings got more and more involved. And I stepped out just because I knew I couldn't provide the experience that I thought these kids needed that, you know, again, there's that give and take of the kids who want to go play the next level and the kids that are there to have a good experience. And, uh, you know, I cared about the kids that did want to go to the next level as much as I did. You know, I cared about them all. I wanted to have all the good, ex- uh, the best experience we can give them in that setting with the resources we had. And, and, uh, but yeah, you're right. You, you could tell right away the kids that want to be there and the kids that don't. And, uh, it's up to them. And I know I've known guys that don't touch a puck or stick all off season and come out and they're the, one of the best players on the ice, you know, so it's finding that divide. And, and I think as the game changes and, you know, obviously the state of the world right now with what's going on is going to have a huge impact. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know, you as a parent, you want to enjoy being part of it with them as well as enjoying being at the rink. And, uh, and that, you know, it's, it's, it's as much of an experience for the parent as it is the player. Yeah. One of the things that you, uh, I think that, themes that you kind of touched on was the just advocate for yourself. Right. And if, as a parent, empower your kids to do that. Um, you know, you said you've had, had a number of players that come to you and ask, okay, what, uh, you know, can I work with you on this or can I, can you help me with that? Um, you know, if you're a kid out there, or if you're a parent out there, make sure you get your kid to a, a maturity level and a comfort level where they can have the, the hard conversations or the, you know, ask the tough questions or maybe it's easier to just sit and sulk on the, you know, the core of the bench if you're not getting the ice time or whatever. But really what you, for me as a parent, my goal is to have my kid have the ability to go ask the coach, what can I do to get more ice time? What do I need to work on to get on the power play or whatever it might be? You know, and I think that's a huge thing that's, uh, that's kind of missed. Like people are saying, well, I'm not getting the ice time. I'm not whatever I quit or, you know, they get down on themselves rather than using it as a, uh, as motivation. Absolutely. I agree. And that's you're spot on. And that's where, you know, parents that hear this, the first thing they're going to do to their kids, they go ask coach what, and it's got to be authentic, you know, and you'll see coaches know 
um, kid that's just asking to be, you know, asking because their parents making them be there versus the kid that's, you know, is actively proactively doing stuff already to say like, you know, and as a coach, I mean, you've played enough or you notice when you come to that first practice in any sport, you say, well, this kid's been, his kid's been at in the off season, you know, and uh, what's it rising tide raises all ships, you know, that, that motivates everyone to get a little better. And I think if you have that leadership as from the kids first, to say like, oh, you know, again, I can't believe this kid's what, this kid's getting better, mom. Instead of having that attitude, it's not fair. It's saying, well, what did he do that I, I if he can do it, why can't I? Why am I not doing it? You know, right. So yeah, it, it gets back to you know, as a parent, control the things you can control. Like you said, yeah, I don't have the ability to make my kid the greatest hockey player. I don't have the genetics to make my kid the greatest hockey player on on earth. But I do have the ability to teach him how to how to interact with people and and self advocate and and learn some leadership skills and those types of things. That's as a parent, those are within your control. You know, that's, that's where I think most people miss the mark. Oh yeah. I can give you a quick example. I'm a good friend of mine. He actually just got let go from the Buffalo Sabres, but uh, he called me last year and asked him my opinion on something. They're looking to draft a kid. And one of the biggest factors in drafting a kid is their character on and off the ice. And uh, so he, he gave me the scenario with this kid. Uh, this kid had made a mistake off the ice his teammate forgave him. Um, you know, again, they, that was part of a conversation. The kid was good enough to be drafted in NHL. Now it was down to was he going to get drafted in this round or possibly later or never, you know, and that was just something that he did away from the ice and a personal decision he made that affected his, his future, his future, you know, and, and again, they, um, but in that same conversation, I said, well, give me an example of a different scenario or a, for context. And he told me that, a player was drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers and they taught it to him as this was a great pick and it was unwritten. Well, not, it was well known throughout the scouting community in the NHL that he was a bad locker room guy and at, at the, a high level division one school. And uh, he was, I think he was either a captain or assistant captain, but at 20 years old, he would sulk if he didn't have a goal that night or he was, if they'd win by three goals and he didn't have two, he was a mad, you know, and that resonated with um, with me because I've always been kind of that middle tier player, um, offensive defenseman. My goal was always to make players around me better. You know, I was happy with two goals a year knowing that I had 20 to 30 assists because I would much rather get the puck to the guys that can score than, than try to score myself. And that goes back to you. It's, it's fitting in and finding your place in a team. Are you a locker room guy? Are you a positive motivator? And that – speaks volumes i mean i get calls today you know numerous calls a year about hey um were you at this high school game in eagle river march whatever against this team this team wants the, this kid to play juniors do you know about him and usually i said no i make a couple phone calls and i'll talk to a high school kid on this team i say hey what about what do you know about this kid did you play with him have you played against him what is he like on the ice when you play against him and off the ice you know and so again, you know, like you said, be a good person, be a good teammate, make your team better any way you can and know that, you know, if they're good enough, they'll find you. But if, you know, they'll also find and learn about your character through any way they, they, they can, you know, and the way I look at it is from a college perspective, if a school is going to give you a scholarship, they're going to invest, you know, $750,000 in you, right, in your education. So if you don't think they're going to turn over every stone they can to gain as much information about you, and again, back to the parent, they go, they ask questions about your family. What's your family life like? You know, what are your parents divorced, married? What's their situation? What, what's their character like? 
because again, at the end of the day, when they make that decision as a coach and I've been there and I understand this decision that they will take a lesser skilled guy that or, or, or girl that is less, has less headaches and less baggage in or out of their control. You know, and I think they're just hedging their bets. Like it's, it's a business. So again, at the end, yeah, to advocate for your kid to be the best teammate they can, uh, you know, work on your character, be the best teammate you can. And then, Hey, yeah, by the way, you got to get better too. If you want to be in that locker room to be a locker room guy, you want to tell jokes all the time, well, you got to be on the team to do that. You know? Yeah, for sure. Great point on the, the college and, you know, the scholarships are investment in, in you. I mean, if you're, if I'm investing, you know, a half million dollars in, <laughs> into something, I'm going to damn sure do my research on it. Right. Like you, no one's just handing out, money to uh to joe blow over there on the street that very often right so yeah my buddy was probably one of the best recruiters in women's hockey and uh actually he's got it was uh, we can get into it maybe later but bad coaching stories he just interviewed for a job that they had to fire the last two coaches because they were horrible at a a division one program and he's got countless stories of, of sitting in living rooms in northern canada or all over canada with families and he's like, yeah, they're, I'm there to interview the girl, but I'm there to interview the family for, you know, I mean, I need to get to know everything I can about this girl and her family. And, um, you know, and as he's there face to face to, you know, for them to, to ask him questions as well. Well, I mean, you can take this a little bit further, right? So hockey, hockey is one thing that you can do throughout your life. You, you touched on the buddy that played football went and played rugby, but that was it, right? Like, but hockey, you can be 75 fucking years old, still playing pickup, you know, <laughs> letting it rip. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. Exactly. But you look at it, I mean, I, I can tie back to some, you know, just being that locker room person, being having a good personality. I mean, shit, if I had been an asshole or you've been an asshole, we probably wouldn't be doing this interview right now. I mean, oh, absolutely. you look at that and you say, you know, what can, you know, what can parents do to, you know, what can kids do or parents, whatever, to hurt their kids' chance off the ice? Well, be a dick, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you're out there, if the family's a dick or the kid's a dick, who's going to want them on that team? But oh, absolutely. If that kid, uh, you know, is busting their ass and they're making everyone laugh and, and boosting the mood in the locker room and building that culture that, that can uh, drive that team forward, right? That's probably a even if the kid's not quite as skilled as, you know, Joe Blow that's out there and can just, you know, skate around everybody and thinks he's cocky shit and wear a number 99, like Kevin Hayes or whatever. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you got that going, you know? So um, definitely. Yeah, like Yandel, like, like Yandel said in the, his, his stuff and Spitting Chickens, it's like it's rare, it's rare for a coach to be, have the chance to tell a parent the reason his kid's not on that team is because of them. I think a lot of them, um, you know, obviously don't want to get into that conversation. It's just easier to cut the kid. But I mean, that becomes that kid's story, right? And the parent's story, like, oh, he get, he was the third leading goal scorer on this team last year, and also he's cut this year. I don't know why. Well, you know, there's a strong chance the reason why was because of their experience with the parents, you know, or the, the dealings with the parents for that uh, for that team. Yeah, that's uh, – parents don't realize how much their uh, their attitude and their actions can can impact their, their kids' chances. Like, it's a – at that – when you get to that level, it's a full family investment, right? Like, everybody's got to be on the ball, have your shit together. You know, you don't have to be perfect by any means, but 
you know, you're a representation of, uh, of your kid as well, just like they are of you. So making sure all those ducks in are, are in a row or yeah. semi some sort of row or flying <laughs> V, whatever you want to put them in, like have some sort of fucking formation for Christ's sake. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where, as you know, you can attest as parents is that, you know, yeah, in your mind, you deserve to do and say whatever you want. You know, you're the one that's investing the money. You know, if it's a paid position for that coach, he's getting paid by your financial. Yeah. But so at the end of the day, you have every right to say and do whatever you want. But, at, you know, you also have to sit back and say, is this going to affect the program? You know, and and I've also had experiences where the coach was the worst example of all that as well. You know, I think that. The coach is, uh, you know, at some points you'd hope the coach coaches the parents as well and his expectations and is managing their expectations and what uh, the season's about, what their goals are. But, you know, you, hopefully the coach is a good example to the kids and to the parents and the parents got to get together and have a leader in the stands or and say like, hey, like, obviously if it's warranted, let's share our opinion with some people. But uh, for the most part, let's uh, let's be a positive example for other teams and organizations and and. Again, it, it's pretty intimidating to me to have a team walk in together and be together and the parents are together and you see the parents in the stands sitting together and being polite and doing their cheers and, and being positive. And then right afterwards, they're all sitting in the parking lot and having a beer and, and hanging out for the next game. Like to me that, you know, it, it says something about the organization, but as, as a team, as a coach of the opposing team, I'm gathering that information saying, okay, these kids have been together a long time. You know, they've been playing many years together. So that's an advantage on their end or they just have good leadership off the ice. You know, again, as Chris said, maybe one of the Karens is just overly zealot and then she's got everyone in, in ducks in a row there and making sure everyone's on their P's and Q's. But at the end of the day, again, it's, it's, it, it's very, uh, it's not intimidating. I shouldn't say that, but it's, it just, it's a lot, it shows a lot of character of that organization. So, I mean, you kind of hit it right there. Like that coach can lead a bunch of the, uh, the way the the club acts, the way the team acts, the way the parents act, and uh, you know, unfortunately, it's been brought to brought to light in the news that you know there's been some issues in junior hockey, and there's been some abuse there, and uh, there's former there's current NHL players that are speaking out about their their former junior clubs and other uh, things there. And it sounds like you've had good experiences, but you know, I'm curious. Uh, to kind of prepare people of like, well, what's that other side? What's that bad? Have you witnessed anything bad? And, uh, you know, do you see positive light in the way things have changed? Yeah. So I was kind of lucky. There was a huge hazing incident with a high school, uh, with the high school I was going, went to like six or seven years before I got there. So it was kind of, you know, a huge deal and a bunch of kids got in trouble for it. Um, and then when I got to juniors, my first year, there was uh, a bit of hazing and it, it wasn't uh it was all in good nature you know we a couple of the kids had to run around in a adult diaper around a restaurant or something and obviously in today's standards probably would have never been allowed but um so yeah so other than that i've only heard third or second and third hand of those experiences of the of the negative experience of what's going on and i'm i'm hopeful that things will change i think that it's as much as the old hockey guard says it's you know the right of patches you have to earn your stripes to get on the team i you know i'm i'm i'd bet all the dollars i have that i'm sure it's, it's turned a lot of talented kids away and you know affected them for 
for many years, I think Theo Fleury's story is not directly correlated with that. I think there's some other abuse issues there, but I'm sure that organizations have lost really good players with that. And I'm, I see change happening. And from the leadership perspective of the coach, and I had the pleasure of coaching a group of coaches while I was coaching high school. And the biggest thing I worked on them with is, is you, you don't cur- you don't coach during the game. You're, you're managing the game. Okay. You coach a practice, you coach uh, at other times, but during the game, you're managing the game. And I think too many guys get coaches or men and women get involved and try to coach. And, and it's, it's a, a terrible time to do it because the players are, should be focused on playing and should be tired at the end of the shift. And the only thing they should worry about is, is getting ready to go back out. And that's where I always coach my players to have amnesia, you know, after your shift's over, have amnesia um, here, you know, again, maybe a couple of play, Hey, do you remember, do you even remember this? You know, cause I've had kids that made the most amazing plays in the world. And I look at them and I grab them and I shake them. Cause I'm so excited. They look at me like, I don't, what did I do? I don't remember. You know, it's like, <laughs> So it's, it's have amnesia and manage the game, right? Understand the flow of the game. We guys, we need momentum back or, Hey, let's, let's get a spark. Let's get some energy going and, you know, stay away from arguing with the refs. You know, you never are arguing with the refs for the call. You're, you know, you work for the next call if it gets bad. But again, I I've learned a lot over the years coaching and playing that, you know, without refs, the game's a lot different. So, um, you have to understand their point of view. And of course there's always the reps that are horrible and shouldn't be there. Um, but yeah, so manage. So again, that, that energy from the coach uh, again is seen by the players and I'm sure the players will either mimic it or do their own. And, but also the parents could feed off it, you know? So yeah, as far as leadership, I know that there's been a lot of coaching changes and, and people are leaving. Um, I have the pleasure of knowing some NHL players that grew up and played in that era and understand and heard some of the stories. And um, again, it, most of them are, are horrible and sad to hear. And I think that uh, obviously with today's culture, I think a lot of things are changing and I'm hopeful that, you know, again, I think the intent of that, you know, team party or that camaraderie, I, you know, is, is good. I think there's need for that. There's a need to get away from everybody get away from your cell phones, get away from social media and, and bond as a team and learn about each other and, and go through that roller coaster, roller coaster of the season. Um, but again, you look at the St. Louis blues, you know, they attribute their wins to being down and out and, and they're the only ones that can bring it back and they partied and they got crazy and they bonded as a team. And, you know, obviously they got to raise the cup in the year. So I'm hopeful. And I'm, um, again, I, I if I had a kid at this age that was coming up, I'd be excited because I think that it's going to be the environment's only going to be better. I think a lot of people have learned and I think the coaches that they're seeking out now are familiar with these kids and understand that this, you know, quote unquote new breed of child or the mentality and whatever you want to say is the right proper way to say it. You know, again, are they, are most kids delicate these days? Well, yeah, obviously it's not a secret. So they have to be coached differently than we were when we were younger and, you know, is that yelling coach gone? Yeah, for, for all intents and purposes, a coach that yells at a kid is no longer going to be a coach, you know. I think that uh, – so, again, it, it's going to make them better as well because I – you know, when I got out of college, I, w- I had a player's mentality. You know, I was a player. I just got done six months earlier or eight months, and now I'm coaching high school kids, and, and I'm looking at them like, why are you guys not doing what it takes to win? 
So as the years went on and I started managing my own expectations, because this is another point for parents is you can't want more than the kids as a coach. You can't want to win more than the kids, right? In your head you can, but you'll go crazy if you try to work a thousand hours, uh, you know, more than the kids. So you, again, that goes back to the journey of the season and the roller coaster is that you've got to paint the picture. You've got the kids to buy in. You got to get the parents to buy in and you've got to, you know, execute and follow through in the plan. And then every few months or weeks to readdress it, Hey, what's different? What's changed? Where do we lose a kid? Where do we break down? We have, you know, and those are the things in this new generation of kids want to be in that, those conversations, want to be in the collaboration, want to be in the, um, the discussions because, at, you know, in our day, it was just magic sauce, right? Coach showed up, maybe had a few beers, maybe smelled like booze and he <laughs> or practice you were going to have. <laughs> Um, or, you know, looking back, you're like, gosh, he must have a, he must have had a horrible home life the way he treated us or why did he talk? So, you know what I mean? I, I used to joke that we had a coach in college. I'm like, do you, does he, you think his wife talks to him at home? Like, why does he come here and talk so much? Like we're here to play hockey, not talk about your life, you know? Well, shit. So yeah, I'm, that was in Menominee, right? I mean, <laughs> I went to school there too. I know exactly what, yeah. <laughs> what, what happened in that town, but <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but uh, a bit of a legend there. Yeah. You, I mean, you, you make some really good points and you can tie it back and you can say, Hey, especially, uh, you know, if we're speaking out to those, um, parents that are, are coaching that are getting into coaching, the ones that haven't played or the ones that did play, you know, like myself. Right. So I'm out there and I'm, you know, Hey, we're running this mic program, this eight U's, right. Let's, yeah, this is his kids. Let's put the pucks at center ice and fucking put them on the boards and let them rip back yeah. and forth. Yeah. No, really, that's not the issue. The the thing to peel back is say, hey, you know, you can't coach an eight year old kid in the middle of a game, right? They're mm-hmm. they're playing four on four. There's no penalties. There's they're not keeping score. What you can do is keep it positive and think about those things to bring back to practice, right? Like bring those back, work on those skills so that they can uh, improve. But that in the middle of the game is going to be hard. I've, I've seen it, right? You try to tell them, Hey, oh, yeah. you, I've yelled at Ross's daughter for this. You're shooting the fucking puck yeah. up the gut. Well, maybe my language was a little bit cleaner yeah. on the bench for that, but right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you put it to her that way. Actually, that's yeah. the way I put it to her. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure her response was my grandma's here. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Thinking of something totally different than you are. Speaking of Karen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that, yeah, absolutely. So co- coaching high school, uh, 75% of our st- our efforts were unlearning bad habits or unteaching bad habits. And so for your spot on, I think um, I dealt with a lot of parents that were learning the game of hockey a year ahead of their kid or barely skating a year ahead of their kid. And, you know, at first I was, I was really upset. You know, I had like, why are you even out here? And I understood why. I mean, obviously, it's a numbers game and you need parents. And they were enthusiastic. So I, once I flipped my mindset on it, I said, okay, control what you can control. You know, use your experiences in other sports. And now, again, I would take myself and say, well, okay, what would I do if I went and coached high school soccer right now? You know, well, okay, what do I know? I'm like, well, all right, let's get back to fitness. I know we can get them in shape. I know we can make them happy, right? So that I can control what I can control as a coach. And that's where I did with these parents as today. You're, you're an energy coach. You find the kids that are acting out or, or need a little, you know, a little pep talk or something. That's your job. You're the energy guy. You know, this, you know, Chris, you're going to do the skills. You know, if a kid's doing something wrong that we think we can fix today, pull them aside, you know. So it goes back to the fundamentals and uh, 
And you're right. It's just providing that experience and those kids to have a good time. Because at the end of the day, if you just listen to the kids when they talk about after the game, you know, again, the same thing with my nephew. He's seven and he had a couple of jamborees. Now it's like, you know, well, that kid dropped his water bottle. It went everywhere on the ice. You know, I'm like, what? That one kid and their team had like 12 goals. Like, you didn't yeah. notice that? <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah. So, again, it's, it's as a coach, parent, skills, anything is, is, you know, add the value where you can add value and use your experiences in your playing in life and then and that's, stick to that. Well, yeah. I mean, that's right. That's, you have, uh, you, can, you can't go yell at the kids anymore, right? And just, hammer into them and pound them. You're worthless. You're a piece of shit, right. you know, skate harder, skate faster. Right. But what you can do is you can uh, find that those good things and hammer on that because that's the world we live in uh, yes. for better or worse, but build that up and build those kids into that. At least, you know, from my perspective, right. As a, you know, beer leaguer, a terrible beer leaguer, right. I haven't made it. I didn't make it to the, the Great Lakes Hockey League or anything. So I'm still waiting for my call up from the Falcons for a game. You're still a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. So be ready. Unrestricted. Yeah. Right. And wait when you're coming down and playing the Bombers and you call me up for a game. Um, (laughs) But the, but the, the camaraderie that you build out of this and the fact that parents got to remember, Hey, the kid's not probably going to make it get a D one scholarship, but there is something to play afterwards. Right. Your kid's not going to get paid to play, but you know what? These friendships you build and uh, the experiences you get, should I moved from town to town. And the one thing that let me meet people and build business relationships and build friendships that span the entire state or country is hockey, right? That's that sport. The fact that you can put an eighth inch of steel on each foot and move across the ice lets you lets you join up and I mean shit last summer right I came up go play pick up hockey in Monaco Wisconsin middle of nowhere right but I can put those blades on my skates and I can move around with everybody so that lets you just have that that friendship and run over to that whatever that shitty bar was we went to afterwards with those damn good tacos Um, right Little brown jug, free shout out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it was funny because we had a, I met a kid up here and he moved to town. Yeah, I, I know, decent hockey player could skate. It's Illinois, so we can't give him too much credit. But <laughs> he's we meet. He pulls his shirt off and he's got the largest Chicago Blackhawks tattoo I've ever seen. And um, I, you know, we skate. And we go in the lock, We go out in the parking lot. We're having a beer, and I said. Blackhawks fan, eh? And he says, yeah. I go, you recognize this guy right here that skated with us and he's having a beer? He's like, no. I said, well, that's Gary Suter. He's like, that, that's Gary Suter? I said, yeah, you just played hockey with him. You didn't even, like, what kind of Blackhawks fan? Yeah, are you? Huge you know, fucking fan, man. Yeah, there you go. Like, <laughs> you, you know, that tattoo take away all the memories there? Or what? <laughs> Hit the wrong nerve with the needle. Yeah. So back, uh, back to your point about, you know, and this is what, you know, again, I'm not, I'm going to pump my own tires here, but just to make my point is I've had kids come back after I coached that have gone on to college and didn't play hockey, you know, and they're in life. And that was my meta mentality as a coach in high school is I was going to, you know, go back to the cheap kids. So what I was, when, if you really want to see the character of kids is make them as tired as you can and then make them play hockey or do something or think, you know, and that's where a lot of my coaching philosophy came from was when you're playing a game and you're in pressure situations, 
um, you're going to be tired. And how is your brain going to work and operate? And 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 how are you going to rise to the occasion, or are you going to fall? The you know most the the sciences you fall, default to your training, or your you know your mid level base level. What are you going to say? So with those kids is once you tire them out, then you start to see their character, and that's where what hockey was to me as a coach was was building character with these kids because I put them in situations where they had to think and, you know, again, so my leadership council, I would have seniors that, and uh, two weeks before the season, I would have a list of things that needed to be done at the rink. And one time I almost regretted this because I gave them a power tool and told them that we were cutting some stuff off the wood bleachers at our dome. (laughs) And I came back to a, uh, a fire and uh, the, I had thought they would know how to use a circular saw, but when the fire started, they just kept going with it. So uh, I put a lot of pressure on the seniors and I said, look, this is your team now. You know, we're going to follow your lead. You guys are going to create the identity of the team. And we're going to coach it. So you have two weeks. I'm going to put some tasks in front of you. You guys are going to be, you know, are going to rise to the occasion or you're not. And um, so my point was years later, a lot of these kids would come back and, you know, whether it was when they graduated college or just come back for Christmas is that, you know, my goal was to put them in situations and put the pressure on them and say things to them that in the real world, you know, could be detrimental to their career or their future or their education. And how are they going to handle that? So I mean, if they could handle me in their face when they're dead tired um, and not react, but either, you know, like my whole thing was find a way. You know, I used to create drills with no rules and say, here's the outcome, figure it out. And some kids would lose it because they didn't have a time, you know, guidelines or rules. And other kids would grab a puck and dive into the net like Superman. And I'd call it a goal. I said, but at the end of the day, you want that puck in the net and let the refs sort it out, figure out if it was a goal or not, you know? So if a kid's come back to me and said, you know, like, I understand, I understand why you were, you know, perceived as an angry or ups, you know, a, a dick by all intents and purposes. Um, because my intent was that, look, I didn't want you to get fired because you lost it on your boss over a disagreement. I wanted you to, to be able to be in the moment, process the information and, and do what's best for you at that point. Um, and again, that's what it's all about is, is those experiences and building character and, and those relationships you make from sports that go on years and years after. And like you said, I mean, I mean, if you knew some of the guys that we skated with up here and their successful careers in life and other things that, nobody would know it doesn't matter at the end of the day we're all thrown on the you know most of the same equipment and we're all sharing a couple beers after so it's a great uh i mean i call it the greatest game in the world but subjective so i mean yeah that's a that's a great way to put it right like and i've i've sat back on this and i'll uh you know at some point i hope we can get uh my high school coach back on here because I feel like I you know I fucked up in high school a little bit but I look back on some of those things they said you know for practices on Lombardi time if you're early Mm -hmm. you're on time if you're on time you're late right like we had 15 minutes we had four miles from the high school to the rank you better get your ass down there you're not you're not kissing with your girlfriend after school like you're you're running out you're running out seven dollar English, English, and uh, or English or whatever. I mean, fuck, I'm you know, on the sauce, but got an A in that one, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> Turns out when you played in the hockey team in uh, high school, you didn't have to be really good at that. Um. 
but to go, to go to the school for kids who can't read really good. Or yeah, something, or go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, the moral of the story is right. Like you're down on there, you you learn that skill, right? And uh, whether I, you know, passed English or not, I mean, shit, I had to take English 090 in college because I sucked at writing so much. But it's, I I think sports in general, but um, you know. I'm partial to hockey is the fact that prepares you for life. That gives you those opportunities of, Hey, you know, you're not just showing up and uh, going out and playing the game, right? You're getting there, you're preparing for the game, right? In, right. in anything competitive, you're at the rink a little early, you're taping your stick, you're stretching out, you're, you know, doing warm ups out in the lobby, right? You are preparing for that game. So you take that carried over in the business business world and, Hey, I got a meeting coming up. What am I going to do? Right. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to tape my stick. I'm going to be ready to go. And when that puck drops, I don't care if that other person is right or wrong. I'm more prepared. So that means I'm sure. going to win. And, uh, you know, that's the things that, you know, you want to bring to those kids of, you're not, these kids aren't going to make it, but guess what? You know what they're going to right. make it in? Life. Like they're going to yeah. get that skill. I mean, I think back to when I was a kid and there was a joke and I feel like it was like Cumberland or some shit way Northern Wisconsin, their outdoor rank. They're selling mugs that are kids on ice are seldom in hot water. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you think about like what we talked about a while ago with the, the abuse side that's coming to light, but I feel like the majority of kids that play hockey have their shit together. I mean, you can look up to Jonathan Tays, right? Yeah. He's holding that cup out. He's got his, you know, Team Canada medals, and that kid comes up and is looking at it. And what does he do? Yeah. I'm just going to take my medal and put it on your neck and put the cup in front of you and help you hold it up, right? Like they're just stand up people. So, uh, absolutely. And I got a Jonathan, I got a tape story if you want to hear it. Oh, boy. Let's let it, let, let it rip. <laughs> No, first, first to to add to your point there is you're at spot on with accountability. And that's the thing is where you see with the mentality of, of athletes in general is that, you know, did you prepare for this interview or this pitch or the sales opportunity at the end of the day, if you didn't get it, whose fault was it? You know, and that's where I think athletes that have had the puck or ball or whatever on their stick or a racket in their hand understands that, that they are absolutely control of their destiny in that situation. You know, I think that with the Jordan documentary coming out and a lot of his stuff, it's, you know, again, he talks about his failures more than his successes saying, you know, I made, missed X amount of game winning shots, but you only remember the ones that I made because of the outcome. Uh, a good friend of mine was his roommate in, uh, at Shattuck in Minnesota. And my buddy went to pretty prestigious school, smart guy, got his MBA. Um, but he said that, Taves was most one of the most disciplined guys he had ever met in high school and if it was nine o'clock and he had two hours of homework left he would shut his light off and go to bed because he need, knew he needed x amount of sleep to perform and my buddy just at that point my buddy you know he had nhl aspirations himself but that's when he looked in the mirror himself and says i am not willing to do that <laughs> there's there's you know and i you know my roommate in college uh, his brother played with crosby uh, with the Pens and even with Sydney. I mean, Sydney didn't eat sugar for the first two years of his NHL career. You know, that was how focused and disciplined and dialed in that guy was. And I think 
obviously those two guys are outliers and have the success they've had, but it goes back to the, the mentality and they didn't get there overnight. It came from years of preparation and, and, um, you know, learning and learning from mentors or coaches and say like, do, you know, taking that information rather than just listening to it and then using it to where they can and, and applicable to their, to their goals and efforts uh, on and off the ice. I mean, it's uh, not to pump Taze's tires a whole shitload more, but I mean, like you hear about Captain Sirius, right? That, that's oh, yeah. his, uh, you know, MO out there, but you, that that mentality goes back to what you said a while ago when it's the kid and the parents and the way they carry themselves both on the rink and off the rink is going to make the difference and that's that's probably what's going to change things from those past allegations about hazing and shit like that to once you get up to that level you're professional but even mm-hmm. if you don't go to that level, you're, you're a professional in something else, right? Like even if, you know, not to rip on a plumber, but right. If you're a fucking plumber, you go out of high school, you play in beer league. But if you carry yourself in the way that these guys that run NHL locker rooms carry themselves, you're going to have success in that world. And that's something that they can learn from squirts on up. Yeah, I think that even being a plumber, I think just being on time gives you a competitive advantage to uh, to anybody else. Right now. I guess if your shitter's on the Do you imagine the killing you'd make if you're the cable guy and showed up on time? I mean, no, no hockey players installing cable anywhere. Can tell you that for a fact. <laughs> I mean, we've listened to the spit and chicklets with Biz Nasty shitting in the garbage can, so he could use the plumber that was on time. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> he is a special breed. Yeah, I had a friend. I had a buddy. He uh, he coached um, high school age in New Jersey, and they had time limits for games. He actually coached with a guy, Bill Braden. He was on pace to become the next USHL commissioner. His nickname was Ned. Obviously, he actually rapped to me in juniors one time years before we met. Um, but he, I think he's back to refereeing. But yeah, so him and his best friend growing up was uh, Jim Dowd, storied career in the NHL. His nickname was Fuck because he was from Brick, New Jersey, and every other word was uh, was Fuck. So, um, but so they would have like he. I mean, this team. I think like they had of the fifteen kids, something like that. Like twelve of them were NHL draft picks, and you'd be at, you'd have a one or two goal game, and then. Ah, game's over halfway through the third and they'd open the door and the Zamboni would come out, you know? So, <laughs> so it's funny to talk about being on time and, you know, and us being from smaller towns and, you know, the ice availability is getting worse and worse, but you know, 15, 20 years ago, this was nothing for, you know, city, city teams to have time frames that you, you didn't, you didn't finish the majority of your games. He said even one time, one of the kids laid down in front of the Zamboni to try to stall it, but. It's a little different than uh, than other places. The Jersey guy was not having it. No, I'm sure not. I don't, <laughs> they don't typically stop people in the in the road, much less on the ice rink. Right. There's a reason why you can't pump your own gas in New Jersey. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's definitely uh <laughs> fuck. I don't even know where to go from that. <laughs> you you know, I mean. That's a that's another perspective to put on things too. Like right, ice time. 
I mean, we're probably going over this hour limit here, but uh, you know, you, you look at that and you're, I'm coaching mites, no big deal. Right. You know, running, running 50 kids out there, 70 kids, whatever we got now, but uh, you know, you get on late because uh, whatever was before you is, is running over and you're fighting with the Zamboni driver, but in another place you might not even have that opportunity to fight with a Zamboni driver because they're, um, you know, their that rank is there to make money where, where we mm-hmm. run out of, you know, we own the association. So shit figure skaters went long then everybody else is going long. You know, it's a, uh, it's a kind of a, a thing, but. Um, yeah. I was spoiled growing up. Cause I didn't, I had no concept of not having ice time. Like I said, I skate, I would skate seven nights a week, whether I had practice or not. And uh, leaving here, I learned a quick lesson that ice availability isn't as common as I thought it was in my experience. And that's a point, too, back to, you know, with parents, they always yell about more games and more competition, and which is great, right? Competition is good. It, it brings your level up and you understand what it takes to win and you play the teams. But if you break down how many times your kid touches the puck during a game versus practice and you know, to me, my philosophy is more practice, less games, because you need more reps. You need more, and that goes back to with limited ice time. Your kid needs to understand that every rep, every chance to get better, um, is you know, again, do the math. How many times are you going to stick handle a puck in practice? Extrapolate that over twelve years of playing hockey. Now, you know, again, start doing the math on how many times you screwed off in practice, or you know, took a practice off, or didn't skate, or missed an open ice that you could go work on stuff so again that goes back to seizing the opportunities you have and that's with being scouted as well like I know numerous I mean I had in high school every once in a while I'd have a guy pop in like oh hey I was driving through heard there was a game I was driving through the Sault Ste. Marie to watch the OHL and maybe they weren't scouting you know the hockey community at that level is so small that they might say I saw this kid he's got what it takes to play d3 or he's maybe he's a d1 guy he's a bubble guy calls his buddy here, you know, like, Hey, you know, I have a buddy coaching here. He's looking for players. So obviously it's an anomaly, but there's always a chance somebody pops into a ring to look at a team or keep, you know, skate. I mean, my buddy's dad was a head scout for the Pittsburgh Penguins and he found Evgeny Melkin when he was 14, he would go to Russia for two months a year and just travel around Russia and, and go watch hockey games with no plan. And so he found Melkin. And again, if you, Look at Malkin for through a scout's eyes or through a talent. He's not a good skater. I mean, he's not the best skater out there, you know, much like Pavelski. But they find ways to get the puck. They find ways to score. They they have that will and drive that is, you know, unmatched. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not scaring your kid to say, hey, she, she better play 110% every practice because, you know, this scout might be here. But seize those opportunities because those games – Aren't, you know, again, when you look at the, the the whole scale of her hockey career, it comes down to, you know, X amount of hours and how many times has she taken advantage of those hours to get better and and uh, enjoying it, obviously, is the most important part. Yeah, you're so, luck is right there, too. So if you're not, uh, you know, if you're not that uh, that parent that's putting together your Instagram films of your kid and sending them off and trying to get them you know, boosted up on social media. Luck is showing up and it's letting the kid play, 
reminding them, hey, play hard every game. You never know who's in the stands, right? Like, shit, I remember as a kid. I guess as a kid, high school. Was that a kid? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but Depends how many years you were there, man. Yeah. <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, you know, playing and uh, shit. I'm, you know, I'm a terrible goalie, right? So you mentioned Pavelski and I, I played summer hockey with him one year and pretty sure that the only reason he got confident scoring goals was because I was a sieve. So he, you know, he learned on me, right? Uh, <laughs> You're the launch pad for his career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was all you, man. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you got to get confident somewhere, right? Like if you're not going to yeah. you know, pump your own tires, right? Um, see, if that's, see if that's what he wins the cup. Yeah. It'll mean more. Yeah. Yeah. When he does that, we'll get him on the show and we'll <laughs> talk about how, how he uh, learned to pick my uh, top left corner there. Um, but remember that summer you lit me up seven <laughs> times as a game. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the same team too, but <laughs> yeah. But you skate around the right. net and you you look and you go back and shit. There's a you know USHL team scout, you know, standing there with a the fucking jacket behind the goal, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm a goalie, skate around, and uh, you never know, right? I didn't know that was happening that game. I didn't know when it was. You know, we had. It sends off an email as a kid because that's when uh, when email was coming about and young enough there. I'm not quite fucking 40 years old like you, Bob, but um, just chirping. But th- that's the fact. Like, you don't know who's going to show up and when. And you said, go around Russia. No plan, just watching hockey games and looking for the next the next kid that's giving it their all all the time, whether they're on – the best team out there or they're whether they're on the shitty team, but they're, you know, setting that player up there. I mean, you talked about it, putting other, you know, putting assists on the board. I played beer league with you, right? I'm a terrible player because I'm a goalie, but I'm up there. Send the hash marks and who do I get a pass from across the red line? It's fucking Bob McDonald. And um, we should have probably got called for offsides on that, but uh, you know, it's beer league. Who's getting rough that? <laughs> Or I've had a bad night. Yeah. Ain't no, ain't no video review in beauty, league, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, trust the eyes. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Like, so you never know who's going to be there. Uh, so make that good play. Put that other person in in position to score. You know, be that team player because I've heard other uh, podcasts, other shows, like the coaches are looking for those team players. They're not looking for the kid that can wheel and deal through everybody. They're looking for the one that can wheel and deal, but then look and find somebody, you know, find the the bender out there and, you know, put the puck on their stick and let them score a goal, right? Like that takes more talent than, than wheeling and dealing through. So. Uh, Absolutely. And that's where at the next level for the college, like, so your daughter's going to have a file if she's good enough to be scouted. And that file is going to be accessible by the majority of colleges that have relationships with each other. You know, because coaches will call and be like, hey, she's not a fit for us, but, you know, she's interested in nursing and you guys have a nursing program or whatever. She's fit for your style. Um, but once they're on the radar, it goes back to consistency. So if uh, if we have a relationship, you're coaching somewhere and I'm coaching somewhere, and we, you know, obviously they talk, the majority of their life is on the road as a scout or as a coach in college. And so they're on the phone a ton with other scouts and coaches and running, Hey, what do you think about this girl? What do you think about this? And you know, they do, there's a master schedule of every game that's going on in the world. Right. And uh, they might say, Hey, you're passing through Wisconsin. 
stop in and watch watch her play and let me know your thoughts. And either they, they do, do the report or they call them after the game. So, yeah, she looked good. She was here. She was there. She kind of just looked disinterested tonight. Or, you know, you know again, and, and most coaches at that level are just like, yeah, the competition wasn't there. Or, you know, like, hey, her team wasn't good, but she played hard all three periods against a better team and, and tried. You know, so all those things are factored into her file. And the biggest thing it, at over time is consistency. So every time they see her, they're like, okay, she's getting better or she's consistent. She's getting, you know, she took a step back the last three times we've seen her play. So from, from 14 years old to, you know, 17, 18, before they commit to that scholarship, they're going to, they're going to have a profile and say, we watched her 20 times and we stopped watching her skill. We started watching attitude and consistency, right? Cause we know she's skilled enough. Now is, is she going to show up every night? We only have 25 games in the, in, the, in the college season and we need her every night, you know? So that was the stuff that consistency for the scholarship for parents to understand is that, you know, whatever it is, be, get prepared every game, have that routine, you know, give them the time to get there. You know, I've got a buddy that's got a son that's 12 years old and his mom had to drive to Minnesota to take him to one game. He was over there with a different family, but the kid called his mother and said, I don't trust my buddy's mom to get me at the ring two hours early like I want to be because she's always late. So she drove over there Saturday morning on a, you know, on a Saturday, drove over there, brought him to that one game and had to come back, you know, because they had stuff going on. I'm like, you know what? This is going to be part of his story. If he makes the NHL that you drove eight hours to bring him to one game that he had already had a ride to. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even actually need a ride. Yeah. That's what I, told. I just needed an earlier, more reliable ride. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I'm like, all right. You know, and so it's fun to work with him at that age because he's coachable and he's a great kid. And he's, he's right now he's, if I'd guarantee He's probably shooting pucks or stick hammering for a half hour before he goes to bed or, you know, doing squats or, you know, doing something to make himself better at hockey. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think he's a kid that you, you know, you hope that he makes it. And, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you're absolutely right. You've got to give yourself as a player and, and parents can, can jump in on it too, I guess, but give your, yourself and give your kid every opportunity to, to succeed, right? Like everybody wants to play their best game every single game, but that's just not reality. But the thing you can control is, you know, how you prepare, uh, what you're doing before the game. You know, like Chris said, you, you get to the rink, you're doing your warm-ups or you're stretching in the lobby, whatever, when, you know, some other kids are they're either not doing it because they don't care enough or they're too embarrassed or whatever the case may be but give yourself the best opportunity you can to have your, your best game every game, because like we, like we said all along here, luck has a lot to do with it. And you never know who's, who's stopping by the rink that night to watch. They might be there to watch some other kid play, but guess what? They're watching the, the whole game, right? There's 40 other players out there on the ice that, that could catch somebody's attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I used to coach the kids to say there's two things that happen in life, but in hockey in general is that you're either remembered or you're forgotten. And I came up with this after our goalie got ran in a game, uh, right away in the game, and nobody did anything. And I had a uh, interesting chat after the first period with the guys, and um, the guy tried it again later in the game, and I think he learned his lesson pretty quick. But um, so yeah, you're right. When you someone they're watching somebody else, there you you can steal the spotlight as well, you know, and you can you can be remembered quickly. 
But the other thing I want to hit, hit with parents is that don't try not to coach them shortly after a game or ever, but most importantly after the game, uh, because again, that's the should be a time where the kid can decompress, and it should be an honest and open environment to again to, to no, a no judgment zone in the car after the game or say like, hey, sh- you know, share your feelings and your thoughts and you know. And let everything out because you could be pissed at a teammate, or you could be pissed at the team, you could be pissed at the ref. Um, but if that environment in the car after is you trying to coach them on every mistake they made or point out every mistake they made, or um, the kid's going to shut down and not be open to sharing anything after that, you know, and, and that kid's got a battle in his own and his mind to where somebody without hockey experience, but, you know, again, life experience or, or being, you know, just a good parent in general is say like, Hey, like, let's have it out. Like, tell me everything you want to hear. I'll, you know, I, I thought you didn't play well, but that's not, the other, I'm not doing that, saying that to be mean. I just, you could have played better. Now, what can we do to change that next game? Or what can I do as a parent? You know, do you want to eat sooner? Do you want to sleep more? You know, those are the conversations you should be having, not you sucked. Your life is over. We're never, you're never going to play at the next level. You know, and that's the, the roller coaster of the season and the career in general. I think that providing that environment figure out what your kid needs to be better and succeed is 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 the greatest thing a parent could do yeah you're not the first uh first person on the show to mention the oh i think what uh, our last guest called it was a, the uh, the 24-hour rule like, like get in the car you don't talk about the game for 24 right. hours yeah and you know especially as you get into older kids and you say wow my kid really didn't play that great yeah you know who else knows they played like shit your kid you know, it's Absolutely. not a fucking secret to them. Like, right. Oh, really? You know, I, I didn't. Uh, you know, I didn't back check, and you know, we created a two on one. We lost the game. You, you don't yeah. think I don't know that that was on me? <laughs> of course, I fucking know it. Everybody in the locker room told me about it. The coaches told me about it. Right. You know, they kids know. Even I would say, even you know, a, a younger, probably squirts on up. They know if they've made a mistake or. or or played a shitty game, shitty shift, whatever it is. They don't need you telling them as a parent. They need you to to help them fix it, right? Like give them some some motivation or support, show them how they get better. Absolutely, and I I usually bring the analogy of of, of put yourself, pretend you're their grandparent that just comes twice a year to watch. Yeah, you know, because obviously the way the grandparent, you know, they're just happy to see them out there and not falling down as much as they did three years earlier. So if a parent could just pretend they're the grandparent for that night, that'd be great. Just don't pretend you're the grandparent that had a kid playing hockey. Cause yeah, <laughs> we've had that happen before. So <laughs> you're, you're the grandparent that never had a kid playing. So there you go. There you go. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, Bob, it's been a great uh, time having you on the show, uh, chatting with you a bit. I haven't seen your uh, pretty mug in a while and that, that beard's growing out. So uh, yeah, a little lockdown, a little lockdown here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> personally, I hope I get to strap on those blades and play with you in a couple of weeks, but uh, um, and hopefully, I don't have to get dressed in the fucking parking lot. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> no, I think we're pretty good up here. Monaco's open back up, and uh, we'll make it work. I'm, I'm, I suppose you, you probably need a grind too, eh? You know, no, I, uh, I, uh, well. I, I sharpened those up before I sent them. I flew my gear up there, so it's it's already up there. Oh, okay. It's ready. To, right. It's ready to rock and roll. I'm I'm jumping in the NHL. I heard the, uh, I heard there's a spot open. I don't know. Oh well, yeah. Well, actually, they they had to move it to uh, Monday night, so now it's the MHL. The MHL. 
oh, shit, whatever. I'm free, flexible. But <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for dropping by and uh, joining us for this conversation. Uh, oh, I love it. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. We'll we'll catch you on the show again for sure. We got to get some of those uh, some of those other stories uh, on those families you stayed with. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll do yeah, we'll do a deep uh, deep dive next time. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, there's a couple that I'll definitely there's no video and I can have to change my voice. It'll even be better. 